Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Good morning. We are so glad that you are here. Um, How many just enjoyed worship this morning? God's doing some amazing things. Um, If you weren't a part, uh, last Sunday night we recorded our live worship album. The first two songs that we sang this morning are from the hearts of our worship leaders. And so that's our, those are our songs speaking in one voice. And so we're excited about that. If you weren't able to attend, uh, the album will be coming out soon. And so I want to encourage you to get on the website, pre-order that album. We're believing it's going to speak and it's just going to be amazing for you, our community and beyond. Amen? Amen. Well, again, good morning. Uh, just want to say, uh, Pastor Larry's out of town this morning. You're stuck with me. Um, I want to also say, if you are a guest, make sure, make sure you come back next week. Uh, we are blessed. What I believe is to have the most gifted communicator in the country and visionary leader as our pastor, and he's right here every single week. I'm so, so excited to have him. So make sure you're back next week. We'll continue the series on joy. They're getting so much, a much-needed break. Uh, we are in this series at all five campuses, The Art of Joy. Uh, in our world, it's sometimes hard to come by joy, the, the idea of smiling, the idea of carrying yourself with the confidence that Christ gives you. And so we're going to dive in again to Philippians. Uh, this has been our Philippians series. So if you have your Bibles, take them out. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. And while you're turning there, just tell your neighbor what you want to be when you grow up. Just tell them, tell them real quick uh, what you want to be. When you grow up, some of you are looking at me very perplexed. What kind of question? What kind of question is that? Uh, when you were a kid, anyone ask you that question? What, what do you What do you want to be when you grow up? Maybe, maybe you're at a family reunion and you have the aunt and the uncle, and they they pinch your cheeks. Uh, these cheeks, and they, and they tell you, they ask you some questions, they comment on your hair, they comment on your height, they comment on your acne, they comment on all those things when you're, when you're younger, and they ask you those, and then they kind of just kind of dive right in. Hey, tell me what you want to, what are you doing with your life? What do you want to be when you grow up? What are, you, what are your career goals at the age of 11? Now, tell, 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 tell me that. And you at the age of 11 are expected to have logical, feasible, and a fiscally responsible answer uh, in that moment. Uh, You see, I think as we're in the book of Philippians, I think it's a misleading question. Because that question, it insinuates something that I believe is untrue about our life. It insinuates that life is about arriving. Life is about getting there. Getting at a profession, at a job title, at a career. Uh, maybe, for example, you said, I, I want to be a firefighter when I grow up. How many of you know, okay, when you arrive at your firefighter position, it's like, now what? Now, I, now I've got to kind of, I discover that arriving at something in and of itself is not the end. It's actually just the beginning. It's It's just the start, because now you have to do the work of a firefighter. 
You actually have to, you have to get on the shift work. You have, to, you have to get the truck ready. I'm not a firefighter. You have to be fit and trained. You have to be ready for emergencies. You get to slide down the pole. It's just great. You got you to have all that stuff. You got to start doing the work of a firefighter. You see, the problem with viewing life as a destination is that once you arrive, how many know that when you arrive, you're like, okay, I need to arrive again. Like, like that was great, and that was good and all, and I'm happy about the destination that I finally got to. Now, what's next? Where do I, where do I go next? And this is a great point to be at, but I also now, I have a new arrival, a new destination point, and I need to be over there. You see, so much of our effort is getting on there, and then when you finally get there, it's not what you thought. How many have been there? It's not what you thought. It's not what you expected, and it doesn't come close to fulfilling you, and most of the time, you realize that there is so much ahead of you. And here's the fact. If, if you put your hope and your happiness weighs on this, on, a, on arriving, how many of you know you will come up empty? come up empty because there's more there's more in fact we were to never stop imagining we're to never stop growing we're to never stop reaching believing and creating and you kind of get the perspective that with all Paul's turmoil and if you weren't here last week you need to get the podcast and listen to it with all Paul's turmoil about yes I have a job to do on earth but I have the destination of heaven I'm going to stay faithful here on earth I'm going to I'm going to grow the kingdom I have a responsibility with all that turmoil he is writing from this perspective that it's about a journey not about a destination. It's about a journey, not about a destination. So he's chained to a Roman guard. His journey, how many know his journey faced mountaintops and miracles? And if you study the life of Paul, it's amazing. His teachings, his writings, what he went through, what he spoke with, the authority that he had behind his voice. He wrote 13 books of our Bible. This guy is the guy. But how many of you also know he faced severe lows? He faced mountaintops, miracles, the miraculous God's hand. And he faced some tough stuff, some tough things went on in his life. What he's saying, guys, hey, it's a journey and you're going to face this stuff. He's saying, church, I want to encourage you that on your journey, that it is about Jesus, that it is your focus. It has to be about Jesus and it will help you sing in the rain because you know that he will complete the work that's inside of you. So keep on the journey. Turn to your neighbor and say, keep on the journey. You guys can participate with me this morning. I know next week, because you get the extra hour, you're thinking about dropping down a service. You're just thinking about it because you're so, you're on schedule and routine and agenda. We'll talk about that later. But here's the thing. You're on a journey. Don't stop the journey. I want to encourage you that on that journey, you can have joy. That you can keep moving when everything else seems to be falling. That if you feel like you're stuck in prison to that Roman guard, you can continue still to have, to have joy. This morning, Paul is drilling down and he says to achieve this, to accomplish this stuff, you need to do some stuff. How do you keep moving? How do you have that attitude adjustment? How do you have that mindset? What is the practice you have to have? Stand with me for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter one, Philippians chapter one, and we're gonna pick up at verse 29. Paul says, as the title of your bulletins, this is what makes my joy complete. Verse 29, 
For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only that you believe in him, but you also suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, now hear that I still have. Now watch, chapter 2. Therefore, all that stuff's going on. Therefore, all the, the tension is happening. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in his spirit, any tenderness and compassion. Anybody have any of those in your life? Four of us. Okay. <laughs> this message is for you. <laughs> then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Now, here's where he hits it. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Have this in mind. Have this challenge, have this call, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Father, today I thank you. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the scripture that we've heard thousands of times. God, I pray that it would open up in a new way today. Lord, as we get practical, as, we, as we're challenged, God, to look to others, to love you, and to love this world, God, that you would do, do a work inside of us. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. As you see, to turn to your neighbor one more time, tell them they look good this morning. Some of you, like me, you have an extra amount of joy this morning. You wore your preaching shoes. You're excited because of the Ohio State Buckeyes. I'm just saying. Come on. Is it just me? This is a Buckeye. It was a good day. Finally, it was a good day. All right. There's a beautiful tension in this passage. And if you just kind of look at it, there is automatically a joy we should feel looking at this passage because all of a sudden you see this amazing act of what Christ did on this cross. That the, that the king of the universe, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped to his own advantage, but he entered humanity. He took on flesh. He took your place and my place and died on the cross. How many of you have joy because of that? How many of you are thankful because of that. That's exciting. That's, I mean, we can stop right there. That's good stuff. But here's the tension. The other side is that, he says, that's your example. That's what we, we should do. We're to do the same thing. We're to love and to look like this. This is the theme of our life, is laying down our agenda, laying down our rights, our control, and dying to the self. And that's where you'll find joy. That's where you find joy. It's this adjustment to take the same steps of Christ, and it may cost you something. And, and there's a call from Paul. I want to give you three things this morning that we as believers have a call to embrace. Number one, if you have your bulletins, you can take them out. You can follow along with us on the back. Number one, embrace unity. Embrace unity. Then make my joy complete. Do this. This is the, this is the big thing. Be like-minded. Having the same love 
and one spirit and one mind. God bless you. Uh, I, have, uh, I have identical twins. And uh, they're 11 years old. And it is a joy being their dad. They are amazing young men. And they share the same DNA. They're identical. And um, er- early on, um, we, like, we have videos of them, like one and a half, two years old, before they're speaking. They get into like twin speak. And literally, we have, they are babbling at each other. And he's sitting next, Sam just says this, and he's sitting next to Ben. And all of a sudden, Ben responds. And, and, I went, Jessica, did you catch anything? What are you guys talking about? They have, they have like their own, own language. And the cool thing about them growing up together is they, they like are the best of friends. Uh, they're, they're used to close quarters, I guess. I mean, they're, they're around each other all the time. They're with each other all the time. And they, they can be the best friends. They have the same language. They, they share a room. Uh, I remember early on when we got them into big boy beds, um, we spent most nights for at least 45 minutes in their bedroom. It's like, guys, stop talking. I'm right here. I'm in the room. You're not supposed to talk. Go to bed. Guys, I will beat you. No, just kidding. <laughs> Stop talking. In the room. Like, we have kids that share a room. It's like you tell them, but it doesn't mean anything. Especially at nighttime. Like, it's just, it's just a thing. They're, they're talking, and like, the fellowship and the laughter, it just goes on and on. They're, uh, they're amazing. They're hilarious together. They, and they play so well. Then, then there's times. When this competition creeps in, they get it from their grandfather. When this competition <laughs> creeps in, and uh, by the way, I'm Pastor Larry's son, if you didn't know that, the grandfather is Pastor Larry. They get this, this competition creeps in, and man, they fight. I'm just being transparent. Our family, we, we fight hard. We fight. We're passionate. They fight. And I'll come upstairs, and it's like a herd of elephants up there. Someone's got somebody in a headlock. Their, their face is blood red. They're sweaty. I'm like, what are you, what are you guys doing? He, he, he. And I mean, it's just, anybody, anybody parenting? Is this just a, okay, okay. You're with me. And I'm like, what happened to the love? I find myself, can't you just love each other? You know, can't you just do this? And there's, they fight like crazy. You see, isn't that the picture of unity and disunity? Isn't that it? Isn't that the picture sometimes of marriage? You know, two, two become what? Become one flesh. Like, and you get married and you're powerful and you're on vision and you're serving one another and the husbands, you're laying your life down for your wife as Christ loved the church. A wife, you're submitting to your husbands as under the Lord and you're living out Ephesians 5 together and you're unstoppable. And then all of a sudden, competition creeps in. Or should I say comparison creeps in? And we look at somebody else's highlight reel on Facebook and social media and we get into this thing of what we're not doing and all the things that we should. And this disunity starts starts to happen. Our country. And we live in the greatest country in the world. We live in the greatest country in the world. And listen, I'm so, I'm so proud of where we live and the freedoms that we get to have. And, and when we're, we're together, we're the United States, right? The, the one state. We're the United States of America. And it's amazing to watch. Wow. 
Wow, when it gets disunified, man, people try to get you to pick sides. We cause division. We get crazy with political agenda. The bureaucracy rears its ugly head and this wing and that wing, and it starts to invade the church and disunity, disunity. You see, Jesus' prayer for the church, he says, I pray that you would be one just as the Father and I are one. My desire for you is to be unity, is to be in unity, to be like-minded. And so now this is what Paul is getting at. He's giving the instruction manual. If you want joy, if you want this apart, if your joy needs to be complete and mine is complete, here's the instruction manual. Be unified. First, be, be of the same mind. Second, have the same love. Third, be in the same spirit. Lastly, it says, be intent on purpose. So all of these things are taken care of. Paul literally takes the time to spell out for them what it really looks like to be fulfilled is you need to be unified. You need to be unified in how you think and how you love and how you worship and how you live. Mentally, emotionally, and physically, it's about unity. You fulfill the prayer of Jesus. And so I get to thinking, what would happen if we were a church that was unified? What would happen if we were that kind of church? What if we were like, like the twins from the time they were born and been best friends? They have their own language. They share their own room. The conversationship and fellowship never wants to end. It goes on and on. It's like they're one. It's hilarious. It's funny. It's great. They play well and they live well together. What if we could create that type of community, that type of, well, I promise you that would, that would bring joy. That people would walk in these doors and they would feel a unified body of believers with one purpose where there's no preconceived notions, there's no stuff going on. We don't judge, we don't look down, but we share the love and the grace and the passion of Jesus because he's at the center, unified, unified. Paul says you're on a journey. One of the keys is being one. Paul continues, says, if you want to joy on this journey, not only embrace unity, but embrace humility. Wives, turn to your husbands and say, "Uh uh-oh, just tell them. Okay. Did you hear what? Wives, elbow your husband, say, humility. Let's do that. We got it. Nobody. I need this. Babe, can you come up here and elbow me? Do nothing out of self, we'll move on. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, watch this, watch the, watch the language of others. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each one of you to the interest of who? Of others, of others. He just explained what unity looks like, and then he covers it with this nice layer of a word that nobody likes, which is humility. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. First of all, just to pause If you're acting selfishly, if you're doing stuff out of selfish ambition, are you unified? No, because it's your agenda, right? And you're forcing people to to choose sides. So this is kind of like next to the line of, of unity. It goes deeper. It goes further. Now, according to Jesus and his words, and, and just like his prayers, one of his major discussions that he constantly resurfaces in his teachings with his disciples and religious leaders was this idea of becoming a servant. This idea of becoming a servant. He started, talked on topics about taking the lowest place, 
Don't, don't go in and take the best spot. Don't go in and take the best seat, but take, take the lowest place. He said, he said you know what? Actually, the, here's the whole thing. If, if you try to be first, you're actually going to end up what? Being last. And, and if you're actually, if you serve and become last, what? I'll reward you and you will become first. You guys getting this? And, and so here's the thing. He said, actually, it's a daily process to dying to yourself. And you want to do that daily. And in fact, if you want to be the greatest, the best, the most powerful person for Jesus, what do you need to be? You need to be the servant of all. And so this, there's this talk, there's this language about serving. It's his passion. And part of it is because in the Jewish world, it was all about advancements. In Jesus' time, it was all about advancements. It was, all, it was all about pride and positions and loud prayers and social classes and racism. And Jesus comes in and he says, the kingdom, that the way I've designed this is about putting others first. It's completely different than what you're trying to do. You guys, this is how I, I destined you to live. And what happens is when you serve, you actually receive the fulfillment that I created and I designed you for. There's joy there. You receive the promotion. You receive the inheritance. It's about being a humble servant. Let me just pause for a moment. In our world, what are we about? Advancements, pride, positions, loud prayers, social classes, racism. How many know kingdom living is still serving and putting others first? Kingdom living is still, right now, putting others first. And how many of you know that it still works when you do that? It still It still works. You're a servant, you get fulfillment, you get joy, you get the promotion, you get the inheritance. It's about being a humble servant. So Paul is, is echoing this and he's summing this again in the way Jesus taught and lived. And so he says, in humility, value others above yourselves, not your own interest, but the interest of others. I just want to say, man, you want, if, if you want to unlock like loyalty and trust and pure friendship with somebody, serve them. Serve them. You want intimacy with your wife? You, you serve. Like you, you, just, you serve. You die to, to your agenda. You elevate them. You honor them. You acknowledge their worth. And you don't just look out for yourselves and your own interest about what you're going to get, but you're looking out at the interests of others. Become others-focused. See, this, this pride thing is crazy. I, I, I drilled this down because I, I, the Lord's been showing me is that I believe personally pride is, is birthed out of two major things. I believe it's birthed out of insecurity. And we have insecurity in our own lives. And what happens is we doubt, listen to me, we doubt who and whose we are. And we don't think we're smart enough. We don't think we're good looking enough. We don't think we had have enough strength, have enough time, have enough energy. And the insecurity is actually kind of the idea of not enough. The idea of not enough. Now watch. Because of this, we walk into rooms and what we naturally tend to do when we feel underqualified or we feel like we don't have enough, what we naturally tend to do is we size people up. We put others down. Anybody ever been in a locker room? You put others down by trying to build yourself up. It's the state of constantly proving actually to everyone else that you're enough when inside you don't feel like you're enough. It's this crazy, crazy thing of insecurity. Or the other side, the other thing is, it's not insecurity, but maybe you have too much security. 
The pride is either insecurity or too much security where we have enough. <laughs> where, where we're smart enough. Where we're, we're, we're good looking enough. You guys look good today, by the way. We're, we're good looking enough. We've got it all together. And so we walk into the room and, and at the same, same breath, we size people up to even build ourselves up further and make other people feel lower because we've got it all together and have all the answers. Here's what happens. Let me just throw this out. We, we live in a world of selfies and filters. It's all about ourselves, but everything's filtered. I'm not enough inside. We're fighting the pride and we're looking at this thing where we're battling the enough. Can I, can I just tell you this morning, just want to encourage you, just want to encourage you, you can stop. You can stop because he, he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And you can grab a hold of that and you can own that and you can understand this, get this. You will never be enough on your own effort. You will never be righteous enough. You will never be good enough. You will never be the best. You will never, ever be on your own efforts. But we serve a God who invaded earth and says, my grace is sufficient and you are enough. I made you, I created you with infinite value and worth. You don't have to promote yourself, but in all actuality, if you humble yourself, I will promote you. It's a, it's, it's a, it doesn't make sense in your earthly mindset. But if you can let go, if you can just say, God, not enough, I need you. Then scriptures come alive. That greater is what? Is he that is in me than he? All this thing, it's, it's not my own. It's nothing my striving can do to achieve or to earn. It's him. It's him. And when you realize it's him, you just get the worship. And your pride backs off and that stuff starts to melt and starts to go away. And you get a hold of like Romans 12 on a different level. That in view of God's mercy. How many of you just view his mercy? Anybody saved from like save, save, like you were out there? And then his mercy came in. And he changed you and he transformed you and he bought you and he adopted you back into his family and he redeemed you and he made you new and he made you whole. That was him. It wasn't you. In view of God's mercy. So I offer my life, my body, my soul, who I am as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifices have no room for pride. And we live as living sacrifices. I got off my notes. Kids ministry is going to kill me. Hang on with me. Pride goes when I walk into a room. What happens now, instead of doing the sizing up, I see people the way God sees them. As sons and daughters of the king. As adopted sons and daughters. And I don't size people up anymore because of what Christ did for me. Oh, the joy we could have if we lived community like that. If we live community where you walked in and we weren't looking and we weren't eyeing and we weren't worried and we didn't have, we just came in and we loved each other and we loved Jesus because we know it's his grace and we know it's him. I could preach that one for an hour. Come on. Paul continues. Joy on the journey. He says, embrace unity, embrace humility. Oh, this 
That's where it gets good. Embrace surrender. It says verse 5, and your relationship with one another have the same mindset. Everybody say mindset. Mindset. Other translations say attitude. Our same mindset, our same attitude of Christ Jesus. What did he do? The very nature of God, equality. He didn't use it to his advantage. He made himself nothing, came to the cross. At this point, Paul, Paul gets to the heart of the matter, the whole issue about living this life on this journey. He gets to the point, is my attitude, my attitude towards myself and my attitude towards others, is it like Jesus's? Does it look like his? And then he goes in to describe that Jesus, listen to me, even though it was rightfully his, did not cling to that equality. He let go of it and he became like us. In other words, watch this. He willingly gave up what was his. Not only did he take the form of humanity, but he became human and he stayed human. And he embraced this humility in his birth and in his walk on planet earth and in his, uh, and in his ministry. He became obedient to death, to the worst death possible. It, it, it accentuates that even death on the cross. From glory with God the Father to Roman torture. On the cross. Rejected by a man, surrounded by murderers. And Paul says... This is the crazy thing. Let this mind be in you. So I said, how? How on earth? I had this question that the Lord has been dealing with me. Jason, what if you surrendered? See, for me, I don't know about you. It's about control. It's, all, it's always a control issue. So let you in and be a little transparent, open up. I'm a control freak. Everybody with me? All right, the 12 of us will start a small group together. Small groups, it's the way you connect with people and it's how you grow in a disciple. We grow together. I'm a control freak. Um, I, won't, I won't go into a ton of detail, but I, I, get, I get antsy, I get frustrated, all of these things. And I, and I think it's because I do this where... I picture how things are supposed to be, right? Anybody with me, you have a picture of what next weekend's gonna look like? Oh, it's the first of November. We're gonna go and pick apples with the kids and you know they're all gonna line up perfectly in a row. <laughs> Everybody that talks to them, they will talk back to them in respect. The car ride, we will sing Christmas songs. <laughs> it's gonna be perfect. The apples are gonna be tasty. And it's just, it's going to be awesome. My two-year-old daughter, she's just going to stay right next to dad, looking longingly into her eyes the whole entire day. She will not stomp her feet and tell me to shush. So that's our new thing. She told me to shush, by the way. So I said, okay, what do you, no, I'm just kidding. We have this picture we get in the car, and the kids are crazy, and we get to the apple orchard, and we lose one. There's not even apples on the tree. You know, like, it's crazy. It's crazy. It doesn't go, it doesn't go like we planned. And, and we have this idea of controlling our finances. We control our job, control our money. Can I just tell you, for me, what the Lord's been showing me? That's a form of pride. 
Ultimately, that's, that's pride. It's control because if I control, I'm looking out for who? I'm looking out for me. And if I control it, the most important thing is me in that situation, that it goes according to my, me, my plan. It's about me. It's not humble. You know what? Control also, just, you see, this is like an upswing. He's going back. He's, this control, it, 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 not only does it cause you to be prideful and not operate in humility, but it, can, it, it destroys unity. Because I force people to pick my side, my agenda, my wants, my desires. So it's all about me. And so again, what? What if you surrendered? What if you let go your death trip on control? Made him Lord. You see, it's interesting. One of our, our tenets of faith on the Romans road, when we pray with you to receive Jesus, it's one of the powerful scriptures that we use if you confess and, and make him what? Lord. Well, Lord actually means he's in charge of everything. That he's in charge of my finances, of my family, of my dreams, of my agenda, of all of that. Now listen, some of you are like, Hold on. That's mine. I own that. And then can we go back to Philippians? Where he says he did not consider this something to be grasped. But he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relinquish what is mine and get my life in the center of God's will and do his purpose and his plan for me. Now, the, the crazy thing is, and most theologians talk, and there's this term, this phrase that they use called beautiful surrender. And what happens actually when you do this as a Christ follower, when you let go, it becomes a beautiful surrender. Because no longer am I looking for a destination and controlling the destination? No longer am I pushing and prodding and trying to get my agenda. No longer am I trying to get everything in my purpose. How many know when you do that, you still get there and you're like, all this work? And I still feel out of control. But when we say, God, it's yours. God, I surrender. God, I let go. God, put me in the center of your will. My finances not may, may not be what I expect. My, my kids may not, it may not be happening. But you know what, God, I'm going to hit my knees. I'm going to understand that you are what? Watch. You're the author and the perfecter. That's what happens in surrender. You let go. How many, how many of you would rather your life in the author's hands? And so many times we're trying to script the chapter's out so quick. We're trying, to, we're trying to write those things ahead. We're trying to get out. We're like the ghostwriter for Jesus. Just let me, I'll type it all out for you, God, how I want to live, where I want to go, what kind of house I want, where my kids are going to get a scholarship to so I don't have to pay for it, and all that. He's the author and the perfecter. How many know his ways are way, way better than yours? 
And so Paul will say, for this brief time, for this little bit of time on earth that I have, for this little bit of journey that I'm on, I'm going to say it's not about the destination. It's about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. It's all about him. It's about his sacrifice. It's about his love. It's about his goodness. And as I let go of my control and my will and place it into his hands, joy. See, that kind, of, that kind of joy doesn't shift. It doesn't get washed over by the wind. It doesn't get messed up by tragedies because you stand firm. There's the author and the perfecter. God, I may not know what chapter four holds. Chapter three has been a little tough. I hope you'd shift that. But God, I'm trying. And you have those honest conversations with the author, the perfecter of your faith. You guys keep getting me off my notes. Jesus embraced God as we close with unity. His humility and his purpose, his attitude and his mind were centered in God's will. So what did he do? He gave his life. He completed. He finished the task. Now, now here's the thing. I love this about Paul's writing. He didn't stop there. He didn't just say he made this surrender and this sacrifice and that was it. He watched with me in this next verse. Follow along with me. He didn't leave him on the cross or in the grave. God didn't do that and watch, neither does Paul. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue shall acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because of the sacrifice, because of the sacrifice, he is lifted up and he is exalted above everyone and everything. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the name of Jesus. I had this thought. Um, now this isn't crazy theology. This is just a bonus. Ready? It's just, it's just an extra what happens when you have the same attitude of Christ? Where you're unified, where you humble yourself, where you have this type of surrender. Could it, could it be that God will give you the platform? The destination that you're longing for, the fulfilled purpose that you're looking for, that as you surrender, that you would be a part in the purpose and will of God, which is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Jesus. That now you get to share that. As you surrender, your life now speaks that. As you let go of your agenda, you get to share that. You now are exalted in a place. As you humble yourself, as you are unified in love, as you do that, as you have that mindset, as you surrender control, I believe God's will and purpose is now evident in your life. You get his vision, you get his heart, you get his destiny, and he uses you to exalt. He uses your life and my life to exalt the name of Jesus. Just a thought. Our missionary guest, how many of you remember the missionary guest? He had a giant beard. He was like eight foot tall and he yelled a lot. It was intense. He was here a couple weeks ago. It was amazing. 
And he said this thing at the very end, and, and I preached it before, but it, it caught my eye like it never caught before. He said that uh, as Hannah is begging for a child, she, she begs before the Lord and says, give me what I don't have and I'll give it back to you. That's an amazing sacrificial surrender type attitude. Give me what I don't have, Lord, and I will give it back to you. I'll give it back to you in full. And he made, our missionary guest made this tag and he said, and it became a blessing for the nations. Samuel was born. That's how Israel started. That's how this, they got their, they got their, Samuel became the blessing for the nations. See, what if we as a church would operate in humility and love? What if we would take the attitude and we would surrender and say, God, I am yours. I give up my control. I believe he wants to use you to bless the nations. All it takes is saying, I'm yours. I'm yours. God, give me what what I don't have. I don't have righteousness. I don't I don't have anything good inside of me. I don't have the best thoughts, life. I don't have the best. Path. But God, if, if you cleanse me, if you give me your grace, if you give me your mercy, if you give me what I can't do for myself, which is your salvation and your son, if you give that to me, I will offer myself, my life, my purpose, my will back to you. I believe the nations will be blessed. Your family will be blessed. Your job will be blessed. Your community will be blessed. Your kids will be blessed. It's how it works. That was extra. Watch, real quick. My time's going. How can I do this? How, how, could, I ever, how could I ever hope to accomplish this? No. Paul, Paul didn't leave Jesus hanging there. And watch, he doesn't leave us hanging there. Verse 12, here we go. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, I like how he says dear friends, that kind of fatherly tone. Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Watch this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now that, that's always struck me as pretty heavy. This whole attitude, I've got to have the same mindset. I've got to have the same attitude. How could I ever accomplish this? And then I've, now I've got to work out this salvation thing. I've got, got to try harder. I've got to do more. And it's like this challenge to, to the Philippians. Like, hey, all of this cost, all of this stuff, all of this heavy expectation. He says, dear friends, just listen to this. Listen to this. I've got to try to figure out how to be unified and have humility. You can't stop there. Watch this last verse. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We don't have to do it on our own. This surrender process that seems so insurmountable, we don't, we don't have to do that on our own. It's God's energy, it's God's power working inside of you. And Paul is reminding them too that God will give you this capacity through his spirit, the same spirit that what? Raised Christ Jesus from the dead that lives inside of you to bring him pleasure, to have your joy, to, to die daily. He'll give you that power to sing in the rain. So the cry of our hearts is to let unity and humility and surrender that that what Christ displayed be what drives you and I. And it drives you and I because he lives inside of us and gives us the capacity to do that. As we close this morning, I just want to tell you, it's always a control issue. 
It's a control issue and it's a love issue. It's always those two things work hand in hand. It doesn't make you try harder to be more humble, to be more unified. The designer of the universe, he says, listen, let it go. Let it go. And we will find joy when we look and we love and we surrender like he surrendered. How many can just say, I know I'm on a journey. At the same time on that journey, you could say in your life, I've had, I've had some failed expectations. I've had some messed up destinations. I put my trust and my hope in things that I thought would make me happy. I, I pushed the envelope here and I tried and all the effort and you know what, I got it. And it still wasn't enough. Or I didn't get it, have been left heartbroken because I thought that's what I was supposed to have all along. This destination. If you're in here this morning and you have this pressure to arrive at this picture perfect destination, only to find that it ends in frustration and wanting more, chasing the next thing, you will discover that it is messy and it is unfulfilling. That it'll breed disunity, insecurity, and pride as you push your own agenda. All your control with all your efforts of trying. This morning, I want to encourage you. And I want to let you off the hook. And I want to tell you that you're enough. I want to tell you that you're enough. I want to tell you that God created you with an infinite value and worth. That as we surrender to our creator, he will give us the purpose, the destiny, the passion. We get to walk in that. And I had this thing that God laid on my heart and it's this thing we get to. You get to let go. You get to stop hoarding. You get to stop pushing. You get to stop Stop trying to reach the unrealistic expert expectations of perfectionism. You get to stop. And you get to say, you know what? At the heart of things, I'm never enough on my own. But I get to step into his grace and his goodness and his righteousness and his love. And because of that, I get to surrender. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.